Well, good morning, Hillcrest family. Good to see everybody here this morning. Special welcome to those of you that are guests today. We love you and are thankful that you're here this morning. I also want to take time to welcome not just everybody that's in the room with us here at the Nine Mile Campus, but also those of you that are worshiping with us uh, at our Spanish Trail location, all of you Hillcresters over there, as well as those uh, who are viewing at home uh, today for whatever reason, online here in Pensacola and all over our country and even around the world. We welcome all of our Hillcrest folks and friends and are praying that the Lord gives us a wonderful time in His Word. Are you all ready to get into the Bible this morning? Amen. We're in Mark chapter number one for a few minutes today. We're speaking on the subject, don't waste your life in these opening few weeks of the year, kind of recalibrating a little bit as we've started uh, another new year together, pointing out some important things about life and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So many people are spinning their wheels and uh, running on empty. They're not sure why they're here, where they're going, what life really is all about, if life is really all about anything at all. And yet, for those of us who have a biblical worldview, for those of us who follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we know that our Father does have a plan for us, plan to prosper us, not to harm us, plans for a future and a hope. We can know who God is. We can know who we are. We can know where we've come from. We can know why we're here, and we can know where we're going when this life is said and done. And that enables you to live life with joy and with confidence and with absolute clarity and purpose, and I hope that's exactly how you are living your life. Today, I want to talk with you for a few minutes along those lines <clears throat> about the most important call that I think our Lord Jesus Christ ever gives to us. This is the unmistakable call of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the call to follow Him as a disciple. If you've ever been on the receiving end of a wrong number, or maybe have dialed a wrong number yourself, you know how potentially embarrassing that can be. My father, who's now in heaven with the Lord, had a habit every year of being sure that he called me on my birthday. And not being techno savvy, my dad having an old flip phone, how many of you can remember that? Say amen had to dial the number by hand. And going from his memory, he dialed what he thought was my telephone number. And a voice on the other end answered the phone with a hello. And my dad, who was with his family driving in the car, when he heard that hello, all of them in the car began to sing at the same time, happy birthday to you. Hooping and hollering, making absolute fools out of themselves. And when it was all said and done, there was silence on the other ear. And my dad said, are you there? And the voice on the other end said, yes, I am, but I'm so overcome with emotion, I don't know what to say. And my father said, well, where are you? And the voice on the other said, well, I'm laid up in the hospital. Now, remember, he thinks he's talking to me. And my dad says, in the hospital, what in the world is wrong with you? And the voice on the other end said, well, I've had all I could take. I'm on the other end of a double knee replacement. And my dad said, you've never said anything to me about having trouble with your knees. 
And after a few more minutes of this, my dad realized he was talking not to his young son, but to a senior adult riddled with arthritis. And he realized he had dialed the wrong number, and so he began to profusely apologize, only to have the guy on the other end saying, please don't apologize. My birthday was three days ago. And he said, nobody called me on my birthday. And his last words to my dad were these, friend, keep this number handy. You can call me anytime you want. <laughs> Actually happened. Well, as often as we sometimes make erroneous calls and as often as we're on the receiving end of erroneous calls, may I make a statement this morning? Our Lord Jesus Christ is a Lord who consistently calls, and whenever Jesus calls, he always calls with pinpoint accuracy. And he does that in several ways. When it comes to the call of Christ, there are numbers of ways in the Bible that Jesus calls us. There is, of course, the call to be saved, the call to be born again. And then once you are saved, <clears throat> Jesus calls us to holiness, to sanctification, to living life in ways of obedience that bring honor and glory to him. And then there's, of course, the call to service. He calls all of us in similar kinds of ways to serve him in some way to make a difference in pushing back the darkness in this lost world in which we live and then to others, to certain people, he calls to very specific functions or very specific tasks, kind of like he did to Noah, kind of like he did to Abraham, kind of like he did to David and to Gideon and then to so many others. But there is one call that's true for every one of us who would indeed walk with the Lord and it is the call to become and to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that <clears throat> calling demonstrated here in the opening verses of the Gospel of Mark, which was probably the earliest gospel ever penned. And in this earliest gospel ever penned, we see one of the earliest encounters the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read it beginning in verse 16. Everybody with me say amen. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately, <clears throat> that's an important word, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their <clears throat> boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. This is the Word of God. Let all who agree say amen. amen. Now, this is, of course, Jesus' call, his initial call to the earliest of his original 12 disciples. And it is pretty much a simultaneous call to two different sets of brothers. There are the brothers Simon and <clears throat> Andrew, and then there are the brothers James and John. 
And from this initial call to these initial disciples, I want us to see this morning three very important components of what it indeed means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ so that you can know here this morning that you're not wasting your life, that you're following Jesus not just out of curiosity, but that he's called you and he's called you to save you and that you are indeed following him for what you should be following him as, and that is a disciple of Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, that to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. There's no such thing as discipleship apart from following after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This passage opens with Jesus beginning the public phase of his ministry, and he does it in Galilee. He spends most all of his first year in ministry there in the country north of Jerusalem, the northern part of Palestine there in Galilee. And as he travels around the lake that that area is known for, sometimes called the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're doing a little bit of net fishing there. Now, the inauguration of this public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ indeed involves surrounding himself with a number of men, people, that he could pour his life into. He wanted to call unto himself people who would be with him, walk alongside him, and journey with him, and minister with him, people that he could teach and people that he could train for the purpose of further sharing the message that he himself had come to preach. And that message, of course, is condensed in summary along the subjects of repentance and faith. When Jesus came preaching, the first word out of his mouth was the word repent. Jesus, as John the Baptist did, came preaching, and the message was simply summarized, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. But I want you to notice what Jesus said when he saw Simon and Andrew ostensibly for the very first time. Two words that issue the fundamental call of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what are those two words? Follow me. Circle them in your notes. When Jesus calls, more than anything else, Jesus is calling for people to follow him. He's looking for followers. Now, we live in an age where leadership is king. Everybody wants to talk about being a great leader. And we ought to train great leaders. And we ought to develop great leaders. And the world certainly is starved for people to run at the point and to lead with character and to lead with conviction. If you go into a bookstore, as I was for a little bit, uh, on Saturday, just a couple days ago, uh, actually on Friday, not Saturday, I was in a bookstore. I was working a little bit on this message up in Birmingham for a couple days visiting our son. And the women wanted to go shopping, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And so I got them to drop me at the Barnes & Noble while they did their running around, which is a dangerous thing when credit cards are loose in hand. But I'm comfortable in the bookstore, and as I was reviewing our message for today, I got up and I went to the business section and just started counting books on leadership, books on leadership everywhere. got tired of counting. And then I started hunting for books on what it meant to be a great follower And you know how many I found? I didn't find nary a one. Wasn't a book in there on how to be a great follower. And yet this is another example of where the Bible turns conventional wisdom right on its head. 
Because Jesus is, has said in more than one place in the Bible, you know, if you want to get ahead in the kingdom, you take a step back. If you want to go up in the kingdom, you have to stoop low. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And in an age of great leadership and developing leadership, another paradox is the reality that if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus never in the Bible that I can tell says, go and be a great leader, as important as that is. He says what? Come and follow me. That's right. And this is the foundation of biblical discipleship. Come and follow me. Attach yourself to me and walk where I walk, speak as I speak, do as I do. I think this is a big reason why more people don't get saved as not. Because it's a big threat to a lot of people. In an independent-minded country like ours that we live in, where we're told to go your own way and do your own thing and be who you want to be, to attach yourself to somebody and stick to them like glue. Several years ago, Audi, the car manufacturer, came out with a new ad for its line of high-performance automobiles. I nearly got ran off the road coming back from Birmingham yesterday by an Audi. And <clears throat> this jogged my memory because several years ago they came out, and I've always wanted a German-engineered car. I've never driven a German car, but they just look so sophisticated, and they look so high-performance, and they go so fast. Can I have an amen from the men this morning? Or maybe from the women. I've been with some lead-footed women in my time. So driving a high-performance car is no respecter of persons. Audi would be cool if anybody's looking for a birthday gift. Mine's in September. But they came out with an ad campaign several years ago. And the ad campaign ended, the commercial that I saw ended with this statement, Audi, never follow. Never follow. In other words, if you want a car that doesn't pattern itself after anybody else, a car where we design it based on our high principles of engineering and performance, if you want a car that goes its own way in a world of also-rans, then you've come to the right manufacturer because we don't follow anybody. In fact, they were so proud of that ad campaign, they came out with its own website, www.neverfollow.com. Can I make a statement this morning? If our Lord Jesus Christ had his own website, it would be www.alwaysfollow.com because it's the principal command of the Lord Jesus Christ. The command that Jesus, the heart of the call to be a disciple, is the command of Christ that simply says, follow me. Now, you know what a disciple is? I've talked to a lot of people. We've had these discussions on, on staff. Being a identifying a disciple ought to be the easiest thing in the world, and yet sometimes it's the hardest thing in the world to do. What is a disciple? Well, fundamentally, if you boil it down, a disciple is a learner. It's somebody that attaches themselves to a superior, to a master, somebody that knows what they're doing, regardless of what the it is. It's someone who doesn't know what they're doing, somebody that's inferior in terms of understanding or know-how about a, a certain task or a certain subject or a certain ability. You attach yourself to a master in order to know what they know. Does that make sense? I mean, that's fundamentally what a disciple is. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Do you see the connection? So there's some things you have to know. 
You have to know the Word of God because in the Word of God we learn who Jesus is, why Jesus came, Jesus' connection to God, his ultimate identity and his mission and what he accomplished and what our marching orders are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you abide in my word, if you know what I know, as far as you're capable as a finite human being, then you truly are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. So being a disciple certainly involves learning, but a disciple not only learns from another, There are certain things a disciple has to know, but then there are certain things a disciple also has to what? Has to do. So a disciple not only learns from another, the essence of discipleship, watch this, is becoming like another. To imitate the patterns of a master. So a disciple is somebody who attaches themselves to a superior, to a master, in order to know what they know so that they can do what they do. How about that for a definition? And that's what a disciple is. Jesus said, for example, whoever hears these words of mine, whoever knows what I know and does them is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. That's right. But then he says, whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them, is like a foolish man, a moros, a moron, who builds his house on shifting, uh, unstable sand. And so it's important not only to know what Christ knows, it's important to do as Christ does. One of the great family names of the National Football League, you'll instantly recognize it when I say Manning, right? Everybody knows who I'm talking about. Now, some of you old codgers, first thing you think of is Archie, Ole Miss, New Orleans Saints, Icon. Then he started having all these boys, and all of them became football players. It's amazing. You look at one adult Manning man, and you look at all of them. I mean, they all excel at quarterback, except one who, the oldest one who had an injury, but he was on track to be all everything as a quarterback. But now he's a solid professional, medical professional, I think. But they learned from the very best, their dad, who's all everything at Ole Miss, and then became such a popular performer at New Orleans. They learned from, they watched him closely, they followed his leadership, patterned their whole life after their father, and they're as successful as they are now because they were what? Discipled by the very best, and they were willing to follow everything that he taught them, both on the field and off the field. They looked like their father when they played the game. They looked like they all dress alike. They all cut their hair alike. They all look alike. They're all prosperous, and they're all successful because they learned from him how to work hard, how to study hard, how to prepare well. They were his disciples. So this is the first call of discipleship. Jesus said, follow me, and seeing people become disciples, that's at the heart of who we want to be at Hillcrest, the heart of our mission. Our mission at Hillcrest, it's in the mission statement. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ. That's discipleship, by worshiping God and connecting with others and then serving 
the world. That's what following Jesus really is all about. You follow Jesus for the purpose of learning from Jesus. You follow Jesus for the purpose of becoming like Jesus. So to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. Secondly, to be a disciple is to fish for people. That's the second mark of a disciple. And it's one of the most familiar and important statements Jesus ever made. You all know it. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you to become what? Say it out loud. Fishers of men. Now they're right there on the Sea of Galilee, which is a great place to catch fish. Professional fishermen lined up all over the place around the circumference of that lake and up and down its shores. And that's what these two sets of men were doing. They were professional anglers, professional fishermen. That's how they made their living, fishing for fish. But when Jesus calls them, he makes clear that following him did indeed involve fishing. They were going to have to leave their profession in one sense, but they were going to continue their profession in another sense. You and I don't have to be professional fishermen to follow Jesus, which is a good thing because I'm not a very good fisherman for fish. But you do have to be willing to fish if you're going to follow Jesus because the call of Christ is not only a call to follow, it's also a call to fish. And by fishing, of course, we're talking about the, 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 um, the, the service or the ministry of influencing others with the gospel, engaging people, men and women of all types and of all stripes with the message of the gospel that they may in turn themselves come to know Jesus and follow Jesus and learn themselves to become fishers of men. That's bound up in the last words. We're here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you track ahead three years and come to the end, post-resurrection of Jesus, you find Jesus preparing to ascend, and he's gathered together there with the then-known church, the multiplicity of disciples, which numbered only about 120 at the time of the ascension of our Lord. And he gives them some final marching orders. We call it the Great Commission of our Lord Jesus Christ where Jesus came and said to them, go therefore and what? Make disciples. There's the principal calling. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, knowing that I'm with you always, even to the very end end of the age. And so that's the fundamental purpose of each and every church. And it doesn't matter what shingle or sign you hang in front of the church. If you're a New Testament church, that's why you're here. That's why Christ has left us behind, to make disciples of all nations. But before people can follow Jesus, they first have to be engaged by others and they have to be one or caught unto Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have to tell you this morning the sad reality of the Western church today, particularly the church in America. This is the work of evangelism, reaching others for Christ, sharing our story with others, communicating to others how Jesus has impacted our life, who he is, what he's about, how he can change the life of others. And we are far less effective evangelistically now today than we were even 50 or 60 years ago. Man, we got all these churches in America today, all these Christians running around, 
all these technological advances, church on radio, church on television, church online, I mean, just an amazing thing, all that we have at our disposal. And we baptize in recent years only about half of what we baptized in the 1950s. Which just, you know, we hear that and it makes no sense. There, and, and I'm speaking in terms of the Southern Baptist Convention. There are more of us. We got more churches. We have more tools available than we ever have before. More people are engaged in more studies than ever before, learning more about Christ. What that reveals is, though, as much as we know about Christ, we're really not following Christ very closely. Adrian Rogers used to say, uh, if you're not fishing for men, you're really not following Christ, at least not very closely. And so we have major work to do here. Most of us know that. All of us. I would say all of us in here that would stand up and testify, yep, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm growing as a disciple. All of us would say, yes, it's my responsibility to communicate the gospel, to share it with the people I work with, share it with the people I live in community with, share it with my family. All of us would admit to feeling a responsibility like that. And most confess, less so, but the majority, I think, confess, if I have an opportunity, I'm happy to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Most will say that they're somewhat comfortable with sharing what they believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is only about a quarter, maybe even less, of those who identify themselves as born-again Christians actively look for ways to do that. So what that says is we're not, we'll do it if the opportunity presents itself, but we're just not going to be very intentional about making that a fundamental thrust of our life as a believer. And yet you have to realize that to describe yourself as a disciple means this is an intentional part of who I am and what I'm to be about. And I'm the first to say we all have room to grow here, and we should. There are lots of reasons that we're not as evangelistically fervent as we used to be as a people. Churches, I think, across the board, a lot of times get busy and doing a whole host of things that really aren't priorities. And so what becomes a priority sometimes gets squeezed out in the busyness of the life of the church. Certainly, I think that we don't pray for the lost like we used to pray a generation ago. We just don't. We're less burdened about people going to hell than our, our parents or even our grandparents were. I mean, they used to call prayer meetings back when I was a little boy for no other reason than to pray for the lost. That's all they did was pray for lost people. And I think we've kind of lost a lot of that urgency. I'll tell you another thing that's crept into the church. There are a lot of people that, would, that are in conservative churches every week that would identify themselves as having a relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting Christ as Lord and Savior. But you know what's happened? They've swallowed hook, line, and sinker, pardon the pun, what a lot of people are preaching, namely that Jesus really isn't the only way to God. I think people sitting in churches all over our country today at this high hour of worship have left the exclusivity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in favor of this syncretistic merging together of all kinds of religious concepts, thanks to talk television in large part, where we've come to believe, hey, listen, just I call it salvation by sincerity. 
Just be sincere about whatever you believe. We're all headed in the same direction. That's not true biblically. It can never be substantiated from the Bible. And time doesn't permit me to show you completely why, but I'm just here to say this morning, when you lose the exclusivity of the gospel, if, if the, when the Bible says no one comes unto the Father as Jesus did except by me, if when the Bible says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, if you don't believe that that's really true, evangelistic intensity goes right out the window. If all roads leads to heaven. And I'm convinced there are a lot of people identifying themselves as born-again Christians that really do believe that. And it's cost us our effectiveness in the culture. So we have to do better because following Jesus and fishing for the spiritually lost are two sides of the same coin. Let me say this morning, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men, he was talking to these two sets of brothers, but he wasn't just talking to these two sets of brothers. He was talking to you, and he was talking to me. We're all responsible for sharing the good news of the gospel. Jesus told the gathered church, remember in Acts 1-8, <clears throat> you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? All y'all is what it's saying. I'm convinced of it. It is plural. You, all of you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And the command of Jesus is very clear over and over again as he does in the parable. Go out into the highways and to the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. Are you witnessing what the Lord has done for you? When was the last time you intentionally engaged someone in order to compel them to come into the house of the Lord. Not with a hammerlock or not with a suflex or not with a Bible upside the head, but lovingly compelling people as an ambassador for Jesus Christ with the urgent message, be reconciled to God. So to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. To be a disciple is to fish for men and women but also and finally for today, to be a disciple is also to forsake the world. Being a disciple of Christ means turning to Christ and it also means turning away from others. It means following Jesus and it means ceasing to follow certain other things. The response of these blue collar fisher boys always has amazed me. Um, and it's amazed me simply because what Jesus is telling them to do is a hard calling. You know, Jesus calls us to do hard things. Have y'all ever noticed that? There's nothing really easy about following the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christ calls you and you're born again, following Jesus ought to be the most natural thing to do. But that's not to say that it's an easy thing to do. It's not to say that it's not going to cost you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ because it surely will but what I love about these two sets of brothers is their immediate response. You notice twice in this passage, Mark uses the word immediately. In other words, they didn't negotiate, they didn't bargain, they didn't do any of that. In fact, Jesus will deal with that in other parts of his ministry when he starts hearing all these excuses. Now, let me go back and bury my father. And Jesus very abruptly says, hey, wait a minute, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. That's an urgent call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, which means Jesus is saying, here's the deal. I become priority one in your life. 
And it's amazed me, immediately, both sets of brothers followed Jesus. Peter and Andrew, verse 18, immediately they left their nets. means they turned their back on their career, their money-making operation, and followed him. Where from one night to the next, they couldn't be sure where they were going to spend the night. James and John, verse 20, immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. With daddy sitting there wondering what, what, what just happened as they walk away into the sunset. I'm telling you, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the greatest privilege in my life. It's the greatest privilege in the world. It's the greatest calling in the world. But we'd be less than honest this morning if we didn't tell you that it's costly to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation comes by the free grace of God plus nothing else. Amen. But being a disciple is costly. Following Jesus is costly. These first disciples, they left their career, they left their surroundings, they left virtually everything, relationships, in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, leaving bewildered father sitting there in the boat. They abandoned it all for the sake of the call. Forsaking is an important part of faith, by the way. I learned that as a little boy. I learned all these things. There's so much in me that I learned. I think it was Robert Fulgham who wrote a book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know About Life I Learned in Kindergarten. And virtually everything I ever needed to know about life I learned as a kid in church. F-A-I-T-H. Learned it as an acrostic. Forsaking all I trust him. That's a good definition of faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. The him, of course, being Christ. When I followed God's call to be saved, I turned my back on many of the things that used to bring me pleasure, used to cause me to laugh, used to bring enjoyment to my life. I turned away from those things, many of them, in order to turn to and to follow after Jesus Christ. When God called me to preach, same thing happened. I turned my back on a business career. I left it. Turned my back on a home we just built. Left, sold it. Sold out. Left it behind. Turned my back on security. Even gave my dog away in order to follow after Jesus Christ. Left home, left Nashville, Tennessee in 1992. Only go back to visit. I've missed a lot of birthday parties. I've missed graduations. I've missed all kinds of celebrations in my family. None of that's been easy, but it's all been worth it. This is the great demand of discipleship. Jesus said it very clearly. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I didn't say that. That's what he said. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Of me and whoever does not take his cross, an instrument of death, and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said, If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me daily. I talked to a young adult this week who follows Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it's cost her just about every relationship in her family. 
They all think she's lost her mind. She has siblings that refuse to even talk to her. I'm not talking about in the Middle East. I'm talking in Pensacola, Florida. Siblings won't talk to her. Family members that do talk to her with hostility, think she's lost her mind, totally lost leave of her senses, and yet she cannot but follow the compelling and convincing call of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because the benefits of following Jesus always outweigh and surpass the cost of following Christ. Unbelievable benefits, peace that passes understanding, freedom from the bondage of sin, security in the face of death. Man, you follow Jesus, you get power for uncontrollable situations. You follow Jesus and you'll find purpose and meaning in a world that's rudderless and absolutely confused, upside down in every way. A world where right is wrong and wrong is right. And best of all, following Jesus means the gift of eternal life, unending life, forever life in the age to come. This is everything and so much more that we receive when we hear the unmistakable call of Christ to follow me and we abandon it all for the sake of the call. These are things that money cannot buy, and you'll never have them apart from surrendering and committing your life to follow after Jesus. A woman was traveling on business <clears throat> some time ago. She was in Paris. She was out window shopping in the middle of a break one day and she found this beautiful necklace. It was the prettiest thing she'd ever seen in her life. She forgot to activate the international feature on their calling plan before she left and so she had no way to call her husband to talk with him about buying that piece of jewelry. So she found a wireless hotspot and she texted to him, found this incredible necklace. It costs a small fortune but it would really make me happy. And then she told him how much it cost, and it was really expensive. She waited for just a little bit, and pretty soon the ellipsis came up. Husband was responding. And the message came through, though it wasn't what the husband intended to send. The husband <clears throat> thought he typed these words, no, period, price too high. Autocorrect got a hold of it and left the period out. So what came across on her smartphone was no price too high. <laughs> when she got back to that convention that she was at, she was bragging to everybody about what a wonderful, loving husband that she had as she sported this wonderful, expensive necklace. Let me just say as we close this morning, when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ as a disciple, when Jesus calls, he'll usually get one or two responses. Some will say, no, price too high. Others will say, no price too high. For these Galilean fishermen and many others like them, no price was too high to follow Jesus. They forsook all, followed Jesus, 
and became fishers of men. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Anything else, and you waste your life. This is God's word, and all God's people said, amen.